0: You just painted the perfect scenario, and the perfect scenario sounds like that's what it is now,
1: no?
2: Yeah. It's also my stubbornness. Okay. My stubbornness and fear. That's what it is.
0: Fear of what, though?
2: Fear of disappointment. Disappointment, <laughs> even if you know it's still around the corner, it's still disappointing when it hits that corner and yeah. come, comes around. Yeah. And you know, then it becomes, oh, I knew this was going to happen. But again, it might not.
0: These kind of relationships that get disturbed, when we don't take the time to know what it is to sing, to know how to. You posted a mic again, but it's a. Singing doesn't make it happen. Maybe. Welcome to another episode of Tune the Fork. I have with me, dope, 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 dope photographer. Dope, 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 dope vibe, dope spirit. Just a really nice person who I, who just lights up when I see you no matter where we are. Vicki, aka Victoria, aka Sneakshot, aka. I ran out of aka's. <laughs> Vicky Ford. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: AKA Nikki from around the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you for joining.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: It's uh we're trying to make it work and figure out some stuff, but we we uh we brought it home. How you feeling?
2: Feeling good. Feeling, feeling good. good. Yeah.
0: This is the first uh, recording after coming back from Ethiopia. So I still got a little bit of jet lag. I'm still. I feel like I'm out of my rhythm of recording on a consistent basis, and so
2: you needed the break.
0: I did, but you know, it's, it, this shit don't always necessarily feel like riding a bike. So yeah, getting I mean, back on is. A different.
2: That's everybody after they came back from the holidays.
0: Is that what it is?
2: Nobody remembered how to do anything.
0: Okay. You thought you did. You forgot how to, have you forgotten how to uh, Maybe.
2: Maybe. It's been a while. Shoot pictures? Well, I mean,
0: you don't forget that. Let's see Exactly. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> um. You got a lot of stuff going on. Or have had going on. When I went and scoped you out. I was like, "Wow. This sister's been in Vogue, Ebony, New York Times articles getting written about you. Your work is just all over the place. So people are tapping in."
2: Yeah. Yeah, they were. Um and it was it was it was fun. Like it was happening and I didn't really realize it was happening. And I was just like, "Oh, wait, people People know who I am. Oh, they're watching, and then it became oh,
0: they're watching. So, so what? One of the things that I liked about what I like to do, if possible, is kind of turn the lens around on you. Mm-hmm. I think you're in a lot of places uncomfortable trying to get this picture, trying to get this image, trying to capture this moment, being out in these various places. And so I'm really interested in understanding how you get to those points to capture that image and, you know, what your journey has been that's led you, you know, sort of to this point to want to capture, you know, live music photography. Mm. Um, How... What would you say you are, like from a, a title standpoint? I know there's a difference between live and still.
2: Um, I would say I am a music photographer. Okay. Yeah, that's what I would... I am a music photographer. I, I can photograph other things, but my heart and my passion is in music.
0: And when did you get a love for music?
2: Um, It's, I would probably say since I was three. Okay. If that, you know, like three-year-olds know what's going on. But my mother, um, she was big into music. Like, she loved music. She didn't sing. She didn't play anything. But she was a music fanatic. And so at three, she would take me to record stores with her like on Saturday mornings or afternoons. Mm -hmm. And she would let me just pick what I wanted. I mean, now, granted, I'm three. I don't know what I'm picking. Right, 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 right. But the first record that I remember, because I still have it, was a soundtrack for a movie, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. Banger. (laughs) That was the first record that I chose at three. Are you serious? Yeah, because I like the cover. Okay. And then she took me to the movie, and... I developed a weird liking, a weird crush on Stockard Channing, which later led me to liking Greece, but that's a whole nother story. Didn't Lawrence Fish burn in that joint? He might be. I need to see the movie now
0: as an adult. The soundtrack is banging though. I've I, I've I've played a couple of the joints on there out. It's 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 nice.
2: So that was the first thing I chose. Okay. So and then, you know, she would always listen to the Jacksons and Minnie Rippleton. And then still, as I got older, still going to the um record stores. But then finally, she took me to my first concert. Okay. And that's when the magic set in. And that was my first concert was the Jacksons Victory Tour at RFK Stadium.
0: Y'all had money. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>
2: She made it happen. I, I got you. How. I got you. I got we you. We might have been in the nosebleed. No, we were on the. If I remember correctly, we were on the field, and I could see, I could see. So I was like, we must. She must have pulled off something. Yeah. Um. And then right after that, I went to go see New Edition. Okay. So those were like, Michael was my first, but New Edition was a second. So being in that moment and seeing all the lights, hearing all the sounds, the crowd, the the performer, I always wanted to keep that moment. Mm. I wanted to hold on to it. I wanted to capture it. I never wanted to let it go. So, as a youth, my mom had Polaroids around the house. Okay. And you know, you don't get that many exposures with Polaroids. Right. So I would use all her Polaroid pictures just to take random thing, pictures of things around the house, and she's like, okay, okay. And then later on, other cameras, what is it, 110, the disc all those other things, I started to go, oh, I like this. So that's where my love for cameras came in. But I okay. still have my love for music, but I didn't mesh the two together. Not just yet.
0: What do you What do you shoot with today?
2: Uh, I have a Nikon Z6 II, which is a mirrorless one, a mirrorless camera, and a Nikon D750.
0: Now, there are different camps
1: with
2: all of that kind of shit, right? There are. Yeah, no? I just feel as a, I feel as a preference. Okay. You know, I learned on a Nikon, had had the first camera that was put in my hand to learn, was probably a Canon. I probably would be like, oh, I prefer Canons because that's okay. what I learned on.
1: Okay. Gotcha.
0: Now, you're born here, right? In, in DC.
2: Native Washingtonian.
0: Northeast, Northwest, what area? Northeast. Okay. Where'd you go to high school?
2: That's where it gets tricky. Oh, shit. So I've been to two of everything. All right. So um, when I was born, we lived in Anacostia on W Street. But when I was around three, three, four, we moved to Northeast. Um, 312 C Street Northeast. So I went to Kingsman Elementary School until the... Half of sixth grade, then my mom decided she wanted us to have a better life and move on up. She moved us to Maryland. Oh, and by Maryland I mean southeast adjacent, like literally, we were right on the border. Benning Road, Coral Hill. Okay, so then, I got
1: you.
2: <laughs> I was like, Mom, this is still south. This is still D.C. It's just up the hill. But um, I went to an got bus to an elementary school in Camp Springs. Then after that, I went to uh, Francis Scott Key Middle School. Okay. Also in, in Maryland, in BG County. <clears throat> Left there, went to Francis Junior High near Georgetown. Okay. And then ended up at Suitland. Went to Fordsville for a minute, graduated Damn. from Suitland.
0: How did that how did that play into your ability to like connect and make friends at that age?
2: For some reason, I was always the kid that could make friends. Could? Yeah. Okay. Like, I didn't have a problem. Um, I actually think it made me a more well-rounded person hmm. because when I was in elementary school in D.C., you know, I was around all the people I grew up with. Like, I was in pre-kindergarten, knew those people all the way up until sixth grade. Went to Maryland, got bused out to Camp Springs, met a whole group of different people. Gotcha. Like, some asian people some white people so after that going to we're gonna skip that uh francis in maryland but francis okay. junior high it was even bigger because there was the whole latin uh community then the kids bust in from what was it bowling air force base so it was a multi mixing pot which i was like oh this is pretty cool so by me doing that one of my best friends her name was sonia she was a latin girl and you know i got introduced to other kind of culture and cuisine Mm. and music so i think me doing two of everything sounds strange but it actually made me a better person
0: now do you have siblings
2: i do i have uh, a younger brother younger sister
0: okay what's the age range
2: oh lord i let's see my brother and i were five years apart okay So he is 41-ish. And my sister's like between 36, 38. I can never remember her age. She may kill me for that.
0: Sis, (laughs) we love you. Um, Now, growing up in this area and being in love with music and then making this connection with the concert piece of it, It took you a while to get to the photography element first, right? It took a
2: long time. So, you know, loving concerts, my mom was my concert buddy for a while until I start until I was old enough to go either by myself or with friends. Um, magazines played a good part in it and um, album covers. Mm. So, you know, album covers was the art piece and the magazines were the portraiture piece and the concert was the live music piece. And I didn't put it all together until... Two thousand seven, okay, and that was even kind of by chance. It was like I was around another photographer. Um, his name is Jeffrey Andres Wright, and he was—he's amazing. Like he's an amazing guy, and I was watching him, and I was like, "Well, hey, can I can I use your camera? Can I? And I don't know how to work this thing. I'm a point and shooter. Mm-hmm. I was taking my little point and shoot to OK Player Roots concerts or. Jamiroquas uh, just little little things and he's like sure So now I have this thing in my hand I'm like I don't know what to do with this so I had another photographer friend uh, Kim Gaines and I asked her to help me I was like hey I want to learn photography can you help me and she was like sure but by helping me she's like you can use my camera you're going to figure it out because this is help. what you want <laughs>
0: yeah yeah
2: And then, you know, if I had questions, sometimes she may, she was like, you can figure it out.
0: Shout out to Kim, because that sounds like Kim.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, being that her camera that she had was a Nikon D90, that's why I got into the Nikons, because that's what I learned on.
0: Gotcha. Now, before that, I read, what were you doing in the music scene that... Connected you to like Bahamadia and some of the other folks. What was what was that?
2: So I was working with um, a concert promoter here. The company was called Emanate. Okay. And they we did a lot of the black show black shows at like the Black Cat, Nine Thirty Club, uh, Metro Cafe, which is no longer there. Uh, diversity all around the city, and I realized this is also where the photography point kind of comes in as well. I realized I had access to all of this, all of this. Mm. So, you know, and this was during the time where, I hate this term, but Neo Soul was hot, and Black Lily and The Roots and Bilal and Jaguar, all those people were kind of up and coming, except for The Roots, but you know, that whole scene was up and coming. So I was like, wait a minute. Put two and four together, I was like, wait a minute. If I learn this, I can shoot these shows. And that's how that union merged.
0: Because you were already there. I was
2: already there. I just didn't have a camera. And I didn't have a camera for a few years. Like, I was borrowing cameras. Mm -hmm. And then going through, I took a time to look back not that long ago at some of the older stuff. And I was like, what? The hell was I doing? Was it that
0: bad? You thought it was that bad?
2: Some of those angles, I was like, why was I doing that? Who told me to do that? But it was me finding out who I was. Yeah. And figuring out what worked for me. Because, you know, some people are like, no, there's a rule of three and you got to do this and do that. And I was like, I'm not doing it. Doing it my way. Yeah. And some of those ways was not the right way.
0: (laughs) But you, so. Is the visceral reaction you have now different than the feeling you had about them when you were taking them? Yes. Okay, so when you were taking them, you were like, oh, this is the shit.
2: I was like, yeah, this look good. This, <laughs> this
0: is it. Okay. <laughs> this close-up. Because you don't know what you don't know.
2: <laughs> right, and then, you know, some people are like, oh, that's not bad. It's like, yeah, I'm out here. But I was never arrogant about it. I was like, yeah, I'm out here. I was really kind of like, am I? Really? Okay, but... From 2007, I did have some good joints in there. There's some I look back at, I was like, that's really good. I got you. So from 2007 to 2011, I was just like, okay, I'm doing this for fun. I didn't think it was going to do anything, go anywhere, mount to anything. But there was an event that happened in 2011 that changed all that and put me on a different path.
0: And what was that event?
2: Um, Gerald Watson of Shaolin Jazz. He used to do this um, art thing called Document the Fresh. Okay. And that he, sounds dope. It, it was. It'd be nice if he brings it back. Hey, Gerald, bring it back. Um, I'm gonna
0: make a clip for that, by the way, just so we can send it to him.
2: That's cool. <laughs> so he, the first one he included me on, um, it was three women: uh, myself, Terry, Mamolo, and. Daphna Steinberg at the time. Daphne was a I was she was a nightlife, more in the like the nightlife scene, party scene. And she used to shoot under the moniker of Lady Glock.
0: Lady Glock? Like the ch- ch- yeah, uh-huh. Okay. She's a shooter.
1: Get it? She's Get the shooter. It?
2: And then Terry, Terry's been around forever and she shot a lot of live stuff, like Bismarck and she shot Rerun, which was really kind of cool. It sounds strange, but it was really cool. And then Rerun from What's Happening? Yeah, yeah. She had this really cool, um, like, it was a, what was it? It was like a life-size, almost like figure of him. And it was kind of cool how she did it. And she used to do a lot of stuff in light boxes as well. Okay. And she did a lot of uh, wheat pasting around that, around 2011. She had a lot of wheat pasting stuff around the city. But, and then it was me, the new kid on the block, who knew nothing, who... This is her first show. I don't know. I don't know.
0: Why did Gerald pick you?
2: Because he said he liked my eye. He liked my work. Oh. And so, it got a little better by that time.
0: (laughs) Within that four years. Within
2: those four years, I think I I I moved on up. (laughs) I got you. So, and then in that four years, you know, some of the artists I shot was a higher caliber by that time. I had um, Gil Scott Heron. Um,
0: Rest in peace.
2: Lenny Kravitz. By that time, I had uh, Erica Badu. Uh, Gosh, who else was in that show? There was a bunch of other people, but those are the three that stand out. Okay. So he invited me. I accepted because it was a challenge. It was something new, new territory. Um, I framed my work. I did something classic, you know, just regular black and white frames, and I did really, really well with mm. selling pieces. Um, I think I sold about $3,000 worth of prints, and my prints were priced very low.
0: In 2011?
2: Yeah. And my prints were, like, really, really low. Like, would I do that now? No. Yeah. But I, then, it's like, you know, again, I wasn't seeing what Gerald was really seeing in me at that time. So I had one of the OG photographers that came out, um, Augie Ogborn, mm. and he's he was like one of BT's main photographers. He shot everybody, and he came over to me and he was like, "Young lady, keep doing what you're doing. I love how you have this set up. It's very clean, very classic." And I was like, oh, "Okay, well, well, thank you, sir." Um, so it was I, it, I still didn't. Believe it. I was like, "Oh, this is a fluke." But that doing that with Gerald also created another relationship with the gallery he presented it at. It was um, the Bishop Gallery, and it used to be on Ninth Street now in DC. Now those brothers have opened. They have. They had two galleries in New York, so they're they were kind of based in New York anyway. So I still show sometimes at their gallery in In Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I guess I, I have to thank Gerald for that because, I mean, it probably eventually would have happened, but it made me go. It made me want more. It made me go after. It made me hungry. And I was yeah. like, well, what else can I do? So when people
0: <clears> – <throat> how do I – it's interesting – interesting fascinating and beautiful to be at a juncture in your life especially from like a creative standpoint where somebody is seeing something in you that you don't necessarily see Mm -hmm. and like that gaze I was uh when I had tall black guy here I I he and I were kind of talking about this because he was that person for me. And I didn't understand it at the time when he was saying this stuff. And he and, and I would, like you, I'd be like, really? And there would just be all these kind of, like, a, like wonderment. Like, you see this thing in me that I didn't even know was there. Like, I, it's a glimpse of it, but to hear people's story and mention, like, that moment It's a powerful it's a powerful point in time for somebody to just be able to look across to another human being and see something in that plant a seed in a way that is enough for them to like at least get to the next piece and get to the next piece. So they start discovering and uncovering more about this art, this craft, this thing of Mm -hmm. theirs. And sometimes people don't even really know that they're doing it when they're doing it, because it's just like 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 shit that they're just throwing out. But for that person, in hindsight, it's it's everything. everything.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And Gerald uh, he still does it. Like, you know, he'll hit me up here every once in a while and be like, yeah, your work is progressing. You're doing better. Oh. Uh, yeah, I, I, I see the growth in your work.
0: So I talk to producers about them finding their voice in their music, them finding their sound, their signature, you know, like this, like when you you know a Pharrell beat, I know you're an NERD fan, I know you're a Tyler fan, so like there's a...
2: Yeah, the the, the fork out and the yeah,
0: Pharrell beat. W- Is there that
2: in photography? There's a rhythm. Um, For me, I, I didn't want to uh, pigeonhole myself into, like, just one, one genre. Does that make sense? Mm. Because I listen to everything. Like, the same love I have for nerd, I have for Motley Crue.
1: Okay.
2: I have for New Kids on the Block, and which is three totally different. Completely. Yeah, you,
0: yeah. Completely. <laughs> <laughs> like, you <laughs> couldn't be more.
2: <laughs> but I have the exact same love, like, for all of them. For me it's, I can photograph a person whose music I don't know but the way I work I prefer to find out who they are to get into the rhythm of them to capture them the best way that I see it. If that makes sense.
0: So you kind of have to have familiarity with their vibe
2: I would like to, um, so that makes me go research them. Or uh, let's see, uh, I'll give you a good example. All right, the first time I was allowed, well, I gained access to shoot one of Jay z shows. I'm a Jay Z fan, but I never really paid attention to him, you know, performing. Okay. Like I was there, I've seen shows, but I didn't hone in on it. So I was like, all right. I know who he is. I know his vibe. Let me see how his vibe is live. So, you know, I, w- I went back and watched like some old YouTube footage to find out what micro- which hand he holds the microphone in. Is he strictly left or right or did he juggle through both? Because that would help me, in my mind, mentally set up my shot better. Because you don't want to end up on the side that's just <laughs> all mic, you know? You want a little variety, and you know, rappers are all mic anyway. So, you got to time the moment between the songs or the pauses or, you know, and with a tour, that's really easy to do because it doesn't really change too much.
1: Okay.
0: So, so there is a certain amount of research that you're using to connect with that person to kind of get into their rhythm is what you were kind of describing yeah. before.
2: Yeah, I do that sometimes. Uh, sometimes I just jump in. That is gone good and bad. Okay. But it's a quick you know, quick learning on your feet, but
0: What's what's bad about it?
2: I feel rushed. Well, I, so some of these events you only have the first one to three songs to capture your shots, right? So within that you gotta get the shots that you want, the shot so if you're shooting for a publication, the shots you know your publication wants, the shots that you may want, and then, you know, some time to maybe play around with something new you wanna do or some some funky little trick trickery you want to do um shooting i would say i shot some photographed someone at the fillmore and i didn't do any research on them and i just went in okay one they had all the smokes all the smoke their whole set was smoke <laughs> and all i knew i was going to get from this is silhouettes so that discourages me because i'm like i'm not going to sit here and shoot a bunch of silhouettes i'm a Shoot a couple and be done, because nothing's going to be, and that that wasn't fulfilling for me.
1: Mm. It was like,
2: all right, this happened.
0: So when you when you catch a shot, is there a level of Is there a level of gratification, and what does that feel like?
2: Yes, um, one of my earlier shots, I photographed Erica Badu, and it was in New York, um. They got a Hennessy artistry thing. And she has on a blonde bob wig. And in the background, like, there's just this halo of light around her. It's an amazing shot. I'm going to say that I normally don't do that, but it is an amazing shot when you see it. She looks like a saint. Okay. I've given this print to her. I think she gave it to her mother, if memory serves me correctly. And that shot was like, I wasn't even going for that. But Jesus, Lord, this is such an amazing shot. And I felt satisfied. Like, I was like, oh, I'm pretty decent. Hmm. I'm like, oh. And again, the one thing I've heard a lot of people say to me is that I am too humble. That I downplay myself too much. And that may be true in certain cases.
0: Why do you think that is?
2: Because... I don't like arrogant people and I don't want that for myself. And it's really easy to let your ego inflate and you know, like I'm, the, I'm, I'm the shit I'm, I'm everything. And I'm like, no, no. So I keep myself grounded sometimes a little too much, but it's, I just don't want to be that arrogant person because it's just so annoying. It is
0: very annoying. So what's the... But you're overcorrecting to the negative and not the positive. And and I guess you're saying in your mind, it's better for you to overcorrect to the negative than it is to the positive.
2: I think so. Which is very strange.
0: It is. I know. I hadn't thought about it until you just... Mm -hmm. Because there is, like, there's a balance. And we would rather... Tilt more to the. Oh, I got a little bit more work to do. Like it, it, it's better for our personality to be on to be level there than it is to be like, yeah, I'm the shit, and then, not really. I'm the shit, not really. I'm the shit, not really. It's almost better to be like, I ain't oh. shit, <laughs> not really. I ain't shit, like.
2: <laughs> I mean, and sometimes for me, it it's like that. You know, I'll look at some of my work and I'm like, I don't like any of it. Someone else comes behind me. I'm like, can you look at these? Help me choose whatever. And they're Like, what's wrong with you? They're all amazing. Or they're all good. Or, you know, yeah, you got a couple of, but why can't you see
0: what we see? Does their opinion change your opinion?
1: No. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, I'll say yes and no. It depends on, it depends on, how it's coming, how I'm feeling that day, if I'm open to to that, or if I'm just like stuck in a rut of, nah,
0: they still not that great. Maybe that's the maybe that is the end result of the overcorrecting to the negative.
2: Probably so. I'm getting a little bit better now, you know few years in it still rears its ugly head sometimes I still don't think like I'm not the best out here not by far but I'm not the worst that's why I said I'm decent I'm good
0: what do you compare You your your do you compare your when you're coming up with that with that with that metric with that not the best and not the worst obviously that's uh, compared to other people, like your contemporaries, people so, that
2: are out there? Early on, there was one photographer that I used to compare my work to, and I was like, oh man, mine is not as good as theirs. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, I got out of that because I had to sit with myself and I said, hey, okay, what do you like? about their work. Do you like their work? Or do you like the access that they have? Mm. Is that what it is? Is that why you're comparing? Because you have the shot of the same artist, but their access was better than yours. So is that why you're saying your work is not as good as theirs? Yes.
0: That was your answer?
2: That was my answer. It
0: was the that access.
2: was the access. At that time, I was like, for that particular photographer, I was like, it was, it was the access. And I was like, well, that made me go, do the best with what you have. Because I, I'm also a weird music photographer. The camera is an intrusive object. Very. And, you know, I feel like, let's say you're, you're with a group of celebrities or whatever. And they're in their space, like they're at a party. Me or backstage, backstage is even better. I I feel weird pulling out this object to capture these moments. Mm -hmm. You know, especially if you're not part of the crew or they didn't invite you in. It's weird because you may capture something they don't want out there or it's just a weird scenario. So that's why I preferred like you know what I'm going to pay attention to what you do on the stage. That's my focus. Don't really want the backstage pictures, you hanging out with such and such. Like they're great to see. Yeah. But I personally feel uneasy doing those. Unless I have like, hey, you're good, you can do it. And even then, I'm still like, eh.
0: Did you get permission from Lauren Hill? Cause I've really, I really liked those back.
2: Uh, oh, the, the ones behind, behind the, when she was putting on her shoe backstage. or in the mirror,
0: yeah. Yeah, those were really good shots. They, they felt intimate, like intrusive in a way, but like not exploitative. It, it was a, right. it was, it was weird. Cause they, I felt like, and it was like her facial expression or something like there was some vulnerability that was communicated through the pictures and I don't know if I'm projecting like what I know about her into the picture too and maybe mm-hmm. that's a part of you know what you do
2: well with with that situation um I had free reign I even second guess doing those but I was like well this is a glimpse of what you don't see you know her fixing her shoes she's prepping to go on she's in the mirror doing her makeup or looking or focusing on whatever she's doing these are moments you don't see so I was like okay I am a fly on the wall I am not here I'm going to capture this moment because this is how I see her in this moment
0: is that your approach typically because I know you said you you some shots I guess it depends on what your objective is at that moment, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're if a publication has you at a spot, you're trying to look at it from a lens of what they're looking for, what they came to ask, what they asked you to yeah, or what the to the, the
2: tep- technical or uh, typical typical magazine or action shot or, or performance shot, and that varies. So it's kind of weird. Um, but usually, like I'm trying to think, at one point in time. I love to photograph Miguel. Everybody knew it. I didn't hide it. Wasn't trying to hide it. I literally watched his career kind of from afar. Like, I remembered him on Fatty Coo, but when he came back out, I didn't put two and two together. That was the same dude from that BET show. Okay. So, if you actually look at my Miguel images, you kind of see him almost at every stage Mm. of his career. From when he had like the short haircut, all the way up until he grew his locks. And it was his energy. And the fact that I wanted, like, I wanted this dude to win. Cause when I first saw him, he was in some sweatpants with a a cow neck, uh, it was a scarf and a sweater. Opening up for Mary J. Blige. Wow. Next time I saw him, he had a he had a little more umph. He was opening for Usher on Usher's OMG tour. Next time I saw him, he was doing his own show at the Howard Theater, and he always had lights. Like he had a really good lighting setup. And I was mm. like, Your uh, record company sees your potential. Because a lot of up-and-comers, they don't have any lights. It's just really a backdrop and whatever they come with. So I latched on to his progression. Okay. So someone like that, it just made me, it made me feel good to be able to capture that, even though everybody else was too. But for me personally, I was excited. And you can see my excitement in the shots I have of him. How
0: um, what is a good shot? Uh,
2: that's a subjective thing. Everybody has their different uh, meaning of a good shot. Um, for me, it depends on lighting, composition, and what I'm trying to capture in my head. Like in my head. I, I see it in my head. It's just getting it from my head to my eyes through this this object on out.
0: So you see the shot first. Yeah. And then you try to orient yourself for the shot. Yes. How often do you align those things?
2: Now, it's pretty good. I, gotta, I do pretty well. I usually get what I want.
0: Because in my mind, I just imagine that being like a oh, like the lights <laughs> popping out.
2: and. Well, the one thing with live photography is that you are at the mercy of the lights. You you can't control that. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, again, unless it's a tour and you're researching, but most people, you don't know what's going to happen. So you're, you're in that moment.
1: Yeah.
0: So when you're filming a concert, obviously you're a woman. You go to these different venues, you've shot everyone from Wu-Tang to Rockham to Nine Inch Nails to Miguel to, you know, some of this shit is real male heavy, male dominated and you've got to get in spaces Um, this is me imagining in my mind, right? So tell me if I'm right or wrong, where not a lot of women are necessarily in that space to capture those shots.
2: Well, nowadays, there's a few more women. Not a lot. It's still heavily male-dominated, but there are a lot of women photographers, well, concert music photographers out there. The unfortunate thing is that It is still a, sometimes it's a um, popularity game. Uh, You know, the more popular people may get in before a lesser known or whatever way it may be. There's still a lot of dudes. A lot of women still have to go through mansplaining. We get mansplained a lot. Or, like, I've had a guy literally, as I'm I'm setting up my shot, walks right in front of me.
0: Another, a male photographer? Yeah.
2: I've had guys like, "Oh, move out the way. Let let a real professional come and do this." It's like, what makes you? Because your camera's bigger. That don't mean anything. Your photo may look like crap.
0: Now these more known people, or this guy just walking around Um, swinging dick, because he's just a dude.
2: No, no. Sometimes it earlier on it was like older white guys that've been in the business, like at festivals and stuff that. You know, they're shooting for Getty or they're shooting for whatever wire or bigger uh, publication. And they they're just like, oh, you got this little thing. You Why are you here? Oh, you need to move out the way.
0: Is that intimidating?
2: It, for me, it's frustrating. I have anger issues.
1: OK. OK.
2: I'm, I'm good now, but at that point. I've, it's It was still new to me. I'm like, who are you to talk to me this way? You don't know me. I don't know you. So immediately, I would get angry. I wouldn't do anything, but I would just be festering with anger and rage. Like, who are you? What does your anger bubbling
0: <clears throat> up look like? How does that show up?
2: No one knows I'm angry except for me. Oh, okay.
0: So it ain't like you.
2: No, I'm not kicking things or pointing okay, things okay. or in yeah. your face.
0: That's my reaction, so I'm just trying to make sure. I, no. I,
2: okay. <laughs> no, I may wear a look on my <clears throat> face that something's wrong, but if you don't really know me, you probably just be like, oh, she's just over there.
0: Does that anger show up in your work? No. In the shots you take?
2: mm Not really. It shows up in, like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to knock it out the park and I'm going to find you and look at your shots and be like mm.
1: okay.
2: But like I said, I I mask it very well when I'm in a photo situation cuz I'm like I don't want to be the asshole photographer in the pit with the anger issue.
0: Now is it is it hard so you said there are more women music photographers now than there have been in the past.
2: I think they've always We've always been around, but being that it was heavily male-dominated, we just got pushed in the background. Okay. But now there's more coming up. There's more. Like, um, Ravi B, uh, she she shot a lot of Jay and Beyonce stuff. Now she's doing, and Adele. I think she did Adele's album cover and some other things. Um, There's some local girls here, uh, Made in China uh Jada Imani M like there's there's like a whole new flow and then there's a whole um what is it uh collective black women photographers and all of them aren't music but a good portion of them are
0: how supportive are the women in this space
2: we're really pretty supportive um okay I mean I can't speak for everyone I mean the two that I named, uh, Jada and China,
0: the one who are here,
2: are here. I remember seeing them early on, and I love their work. And if I saw them or could help them in any kind of way, I, you know, I would. I would even if it's no more than like words of encouragement or, you know, commenting on their photos because they are both amazing.
0: Hmm. Um, what's the hardest part about being a woman, or I don't know pick what you want by the answer. So let me take out the gender shit. What's the hardest part about your job from a Vicki Ford
2: perspective? Um, being able to pivot when you're, you're, your credentials aren't right or you got to work a little harder or you got to uh, actually show who you are. I haven't had to do that in a while. Like, you know, my work, I kind of want my work to speak for me. Like, hey, you may not know me as a person, but you've seen my work. So getting hired on that, and that's that's pretty much the hard part for me now. I've taken a major step back after COVID because before COVID I was hustling. I was out there. Okay. I took, a few years back, I took a, I call it my nomad year. I became a full-fledged artist. I did not have a day job. I just, I literally roamed between here, Philly, and New York. I was pl- between New York and Philly so much that they didn't know where I lived at.
1: Okay. <laughs> New
2: Yorkers thought I lived in New York. Philly people were like, don't you live here now? Nope. And I would say I would literally spend weeks on my best friend's couch in Brooklyn, and it was the best year I ever had. And it also showed me that being a full-time artist is hard because you have some months where, you know, everything's good. You're bowling you the dough. It's good. And then some months are lean and mean. And you're like, all right, I don't know how I'm going to figure this part out. How does a full-time photographer make money? Um, well, you either do photo shoots, you, uh, pick up gigs for, you know, for photo publications or okay. websites. Um, it all depends. You figure it out or you, you assist somebody on a shoot or you consult somebody. It, you have to get creative. In so it's not, you not like you
0: take a shot and, and then go to like, I don't know vibe and say, "Here's this shot, give me 500."
2: Or Yeah, it don't work that way.
0: Okay, I'm 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 thinking not, like not some paparazzi me. shit. Not,
2: not for me. Now, I hate paparazzi photographers. I understand why they do what they do, but that's not my my thing. Um I think only person that can probably do that besides Ravi is probably Greg Noir. Greg Noir did um I don't know if you saw Kendrick's latest photos. Kendrick Lamar Oh, the
0: dark, the black and white ones?
2: Uh, no, not the ones for the New York, uh, thing. He, th- did you see the concert? The big stepper, whatever. Got no, it. I didn't. So he did a lot of, he did a lot of those concert stuff. he's a concert photographer and okay. Greg is in demand and he's great. He's based out of Texas and a really nice guy. I've met him on a few times. Um, now Greg probably could do that. <laughs> hey, here's this. But it, it, like, again, it's a popularity game. It's who knows who it's still a who knows who type type situation. What would
0: be an ideal situation for you, um, from a photography standpoint? Now,
2: I would like to go on a tour. Uh, That's the one thing I want to do. Hop on somebody's tour.
0: So somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, here's fifty thousand. Document everything we do for the next six months."
2: I'm out. Okay. I'm gone. Okay. I'll be gone for 6 months. I mean, it's, it, I know it's a lot of work and it's also a challenge because literally you're never off. You know, you're going where they're going. They going out, you want to go home. Nope. They going to the club, you got to go with them. Yeah. Cuz you're documenting everything. So, I think it's just about I want to see how I would do that and balance the turnaround.
0: Well, what what is it about that that intrigues you?
2: Probably being on the go. Um, I like seeing new things and, um, it's more so a challenge. I think I need a challenge right now. Are you bored? I'm not going to say bored. I'm, I'm restructuring because again, so we're going to go back a little bit. Before COVID hit, I was everywhere shooting almost everything. Um, also on the verge of a burnout, mm. but I was like, "Nah, it's not a burnout. I'm fine." It was a burnout. So when COVID hit and I couldn't shoot because everything was gone, I was afraid, but then I was relieved because it was the break that I knew I wasn't going to take. So COVID literally forced me. To sit, reflect, stop, breathe. Then I was—I got anxious. I was like, okay, well, for me, I also have a day gig, and my day gig is in music. That shut down. So here I am. Literally. Just here. So I had to pivot because I, I wanted to shoot. I was like, but there's nothing to shoot. So I pivoted to helping a nonprofit, in the area called Dreaming Out Loud, um, they're kind of—I would say—they're urban black black urban farmers. They have a farm out in Kelly uh, Kelly Miller Middle School, and they do produce and all sorts of things. And they're working like to help curb the food deserts in like wards uh, seven and eight. Okay. So the gentleman that uh, runs that is uh, Christopher Bradshaw, and he. Call me up and say, Hey, I need some photos. Are you interested? We need some headshots. That's not the first thing that I do. I know how to do them, but I was like, You know what? This is different. I'm going to take this challenge. And I still work with them now. So the p- pandemic brought on another partnership, which pivoted me a different way. But when things slowly started to come back, I felt refreshed. I felt like, Okay. This was the break that I needed to get back to what I love to do.
0: You did work with Buck on his, with the paintings, and I guess it was like a...
2: Collab.
0: A collab?
2: Yeah, we were talking about, like, hey, maybe we'll do something one day, and we were like, I don't know what we're going to do.
0: And it was a a paid-in-full vibe mixed (laughs) with some gold chains, some... Sergio <laughs> sweat suits and it was a gold teeth grills.
2: Well, I wish I had my grills. I don't have grills. I need them. Anyway, yes, buckshot is what
0: Buckshot. That's what it was called. Thank you.
2: And I can't even take credit for fully naming it. My friend Donna Davis uh kind of thought that up because she was like, "What well, is this buck?" And Sneak Sneak shot. Buck. she's like, "You the shot the, the, the makes buckshot." And I was like, "Oh yeah." That was really cool. Um, I had uh, one of my favorite DJs put the uh, do a mix for us. Um, I had Rich Medina do it. So. That's
0: right. You sure did. Cause I uh, that mug sounded good too. Shout out, yep. brother Rich.
2: Yep. Um, I need to share it with people because I still have it. You I do. Th- I'm gonna put it out. I put it out once, but I don't think I told anybody. But um, yeah, that was an experience cuz uh I wasn't quite sure what Buck was going how Buck was going to spin it I knew it was going to be dope so I was like I have a full body of work what am I going to give him so I had some prints that I had at my house that were just kind of I'm like I'm never going to do anything with them let's see if he sees something in them mm-hmm. so I took them over he chose the ones that he wanted and um I sent him a few, like, um, uh, love not stills, files, photos of a couple of other ones. And he knocked it out the park.
0: Was that your way of, like, stretching a little bit or trying some different things?
2: Yeah. um, It's something I want to do. Like, I want to do it again with uh, a different artist and see how that works. Um, Because it's it's here. It's here. It's just basically
0: paint or offer... Add a layer of physical whatever to your... To it was your another dimension. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it was another yeah. dimension. Yeah, there um, you
2: go. Because, and I think for Buck, like some of the things, he he didn't know who the artists were. There was one I gave him of, uh, who was it? Dave Navarro from uh, Jane's Addiction and Red Hot Chili Peppers. And he had no idea who this dude was, but he went back. And found his story about how his mother was killed when he was younger. And so Buck went from that and pulled out something like dope and crazy. Yeah. And he named it Morning Sun. So mm. it was kind of cool how he did that. Like he took he totally flipped this daylight print that, that I did not like. It was a photo de la soul that I took. I was like, I don't like this photo. I don't like how it came out. I'm just not feeling it. He loved it. Saw something. Made it even hotter. And I was like, well, "How did you?" And I was like, "I don't want to go on Buck's mind. I will get lost."
0: And <laughs> hey, 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 shout out to Adrian. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, Adrian Ferguson. A, a, a noise, noise For uh, my goal is to get the brother on here one of these days. He's, he's coming on.
2: Oh okay, I mean got,
0: we've talked about it, but we we gotta. I gotta. I gotta nail some things down. Figure it down. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. He. The crazy thing is when. I had my solo show. I think was that my first solo show at Art of Noise, I think it was. Yeah. In 2000 in March. Yeah, of 2020. So that was an interesting time cuz that was that was a that was a hard opening for me. Um I was hired to shoot the photograph, Lauren Hill, when she was doing Black Girls Rock. So literally, I'm like, this is my opening. I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other part was, it, it almost didn't happen. Because that morning, I found out that Sam the Man Burns passed away. And he was literally, I literally spoke to him pretty much the night, well, kind of like the night before. And he was supposed to come because he's always been supportive of me and my uh, vision. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they asked me if I wanted to postpone the opening. I was like, no, because that's not what he would want. Yeah. So moving forward, went there, did the opening. It was pretty cool. Had to leave my opening to go photograph Lauren and then... Five days later, I had COVID,
0: and that's early in COVID.
2: Yeah, the OG, the OG, yeah, you had
0: the OG colorway of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Were you were you out?
2: Um, not as bad as everybody else was. Like, I didn't have. I had all the symptoms except for the heavy chest pain, but everything else. and that was a weird saga. It lasted three weeks I think and then I had to go to one of those they sent me the health department sent me to one of those like uh quarantine hotels I mm-hmm. wasn't expecting that, that where the hell New was that at New York Avenue right there. oh
0: down the uh, oh.
2: yeah by the other way, oh, the other way at okay. the Ivy City Hotel you
0: know that Catchy. Oh, where the uh, yeah. unhoused people be at? Okay.
2: So they took it over for about <laughs> six months, a year, or something like that, and had people there if they had other people, like, you know, in the house or whatever.
0: My lady works in the uh, homeless services, and she says, it's. I'm not supposed to say homeless, I'm supposed to say unhoused.
2: Unhoused. Transitional, maybe? Yeah. So, anything except homeless. <laughs> you can say
0: them niggas ain't got no place to live. But you, I'm just kidding.
1: I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> God bless the unhack. It was a bad joke at y'all expense. But I got I it, apologize. I got it. Okay. Um, that was a big loss for you with Sam. And shout out to him. There's, there's. I only got to see that brother DJ one time at Tropicalia. It was it was it was him, Jamil, and underdog. And I remember leaving there and calling Kelly, a friend of my DJ, Cleveland Brown. It was like two o'clock in the morning. I was like, I don't wanna I don't wanna DJ hip hop no more. I was like, I, all this shit is just dumb. It's stupid. It's just too small. It's, it's like it's I had never seen, I remember, because he went on, he, rem- he went on after Jamil, and I've got the song that he played. It was a... Um, I didn't get that. Could you try? It was a... Um, I'll play it for you. I can't remember. Uh, it was a Prince
2: it was a sexy dancer
0: no, and it was and it had like uh I'll play it for you but i but he he got on and he became one with the music it was the first time I had ever seen that, and it changed my life I'd never seen him d j after I'd never seen him d j before, and it was the way like Jamil set up and the energy that he was. Using from it, it was, you know how this shit is, man. It's hard to explain, but I was, I was, I was, I was, um, I was moved, and my musical life shifted, and even how I saw me DJing and what my purpose is, and how I can connect to music, and how I can help other people connect to music, and how I could be an instrument for that. It just it completely changed it by watching him, but. That was a big loss in twenty twenty, and as you're talking about it and thinking about like your 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 art, your photography, you had lost your mom like a couple of years prior to that.
2: Yeah, um, I lost my mom. Is going to be about four years, I think, this year. So I lost my mom, um, February, February fifth, and which is ten days, ten days before my birthday. Um, But the reason why I have this goofy smile is that my mom was a was my music buddy, right? Yeah. This goes back to new edition. So my mom had a favorite new edition member. She liked Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown was her guy. She was like, Bobby gonna do big things. And I'm like, no, okay. I like Mike. Bobby exists. <laughs> but Bobby's birthday is on February 5th. And I was like, really? Huh. 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 So I lost my mom before COVID. It was... uh. 20 it 2019 i kind of blocked the date out a little bit especially when it comes closer and sam was the first person i told because my mom was at home so my mom had cancer and she eventually moved in with me her and my stepfather and um she wasn't doing well we did hospice at home and so she passed away around maybe three in the morning or something like that. Cause I was up. Cause I was I remember I was up. I was Sam just had got off of work from ESL and we were talking. I don't know why, because we were both nocturnal creatures. And my stepdad yelled my name and I told Sam I'll call him back. Cause I didn't know what it was. When I figured out what it was, and when we figured it out, um Sam was the first person that I called. Mm. So, and then to lose him shortly thereafter, like, that was a lot.
0: And you're doing, and you're, and that's kind of like happening in the same time around like COVID, when shit's locked down, it's not like you can...
2: I'm just happy both of them weren't here for it. Okay. I think it would have been, it would have been, tougher on him, because he was a DJ. Yeah. That's it. He was fully immersed in his artistry. Like, he would have found the happy pivot, but it would have took him a minute, because, I mean, the other thing people forget about Sam is that he was an older gentleman. Yeah. Still young, didn't look anywhere way near his 60-something age, but you know sometimes it's harder for older people people to pivot into something else
0: did your um what your mom think about like your your photography and stuff like that
2: she didn't say anything much but occasionally she would say that she was proud of me just randomly
1: <laughs>
2: um it was very random and i'm like huh okay, okay. but after she passed i found out she kind of kept a little she kept a little weird stash of photos that I did or people I was with that she printed out and had in a box. Wow! So I found this—I found this out literally last year when I was moving from where I lived to where I live now.
0: What did that uh, feel like?
2: Well, it was weird because where I lived—I lived in Anacostia for eight about eight years and. When they moved in with me, I made this joke. Probably wasn't the best joke. I was like, all right, you good? You here? I got two requests of you. My mom was a smoker. She smoked cigarettes since she was 11. And she was a tiny lady, Okay. very tiny, always been tiny. Even when she was pregnant with her children, she got no bigger than 124 pounds. So she was just a small frame woman. I said, no smoking, because you know you shouldn't do it anyway. And I was like, hey, don't die in my house. She did both of them. I was like, you ain't listen. (laughs) You you just.
0: (sighs) Parents don't listen. That ain't their job. Their job ain't to listen. Their job is to get us to listen.
2: I was like, so I know. And then with that happening, I inherited my stepfather. Okay. Because the crazy thing is when she, when we found out she had, stage four cancer like literally the day she was in the hospital they were packing their house up to move in with me she got really sick we took her to the hospital they found it he had a stroke so I have both. we have both of them in the hospital so my siblings and I we have to finish the rest of the apartment because they got to. they got to go yeah so we had to do it and then even to this day, my stepdad still lives with me. He's disabled, but he lives with me. So that's another piece of the puzzle. So I knew it was really hard <clears throat> for him being in that apartment, yeah. as it was for me. But I had other things to kind of take my mind or you know, take my mind away from it, whereas he didn't. He yeah. literally was in the room. That was his room. She passed away in that room. So taking him out of that, I felt was a good thing, you know, moving to the new space. I'm like, this is a new space. I'm not gonna make that joke <laughs> again. Don't make that joke. I was like, here we are. This is where we are. So, you know, with him, I worried about him from time to time. because um, I don't think he he's still grieving and he's always gonna grieve. Yeah. That's never gonna leave. Um, plus, she's she's in the room with him. She was cremated. She's in the room. How long were they married? 20 years. Okay. Um, my mom wasn't an easy lady, but he loved her to death. That was his non-easy woman. Um, mm. And sometimes I used to feel bad. I was like, man, she's giving you the blues. I feel bad for you. But now, I understand. <laughs>
0: it's love.
2: So... uh. So yeah, he dealing with him, sometimes it's a you know, I try to make suggest like, hey, maybe you should talk to someone. Oh no, honey, I'm fine. And I'm like, No you're not.
0: It. So when you um Is he like basically your dad for all intents and purposes or were you with your dad dad?
2: So here's where we get a little meat. So my dad has always, I know my father. Let's start there. I know my father. I was a daddy's girl for a long period of time. Um, But then when I turned 12, he just kind of vanished, became distant. I didn't have a relationship. Like I felt like this is when I needed you, right here here like great you were here when i was little i'm 12 i'm a girl i am developed i was skinny but i had these things so hey i need you i kind of need you and you're not around mm. um so i am i had my i have two children as well i have a son and a daughter i had my daughter at 15 and i had my son at 16 so, and then I just felt I had, I suffered from abandonment issues because, I mean, my mom was there and then my dad's sister, my aunt, she was there in her, you know, when she, mm-hmm. in her, her auntie way. But my running joke with that is I told her, I told my aunt, I was like, you're more of my dad. You were more of a father to me than my father. Now my father that relationship it was very I'm not going to say diff it was a little difficult ish because I was the the one always trying to reach out to connect to make it work and it's tough after a while I was like I can't do this by myself you know I can't. And that that situation structured a lot of my relationships with men. Mm. Because I wanted to be the fixer. I'm like, "Oh, I got to fix this. This gotta fix it. You know, you you're trying to do No, no, no. I'll I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out and I'm going to present it to you and we're going to fix this." And I know that stems from my relationship with him. Now, when I caught no, when I had my first show with Gerald in 2011, he showed up. Uh, my aunt told him he popped through. And that was the first time that he met my son. My son was 19 years old at that time.
0: Wait a minute. You weren't speaking to him? Or it was just like. So he. Wow.
2: How did you feel? It was a lot of weird, remote, weird emotions. I was like, the, the, the daddy's girl in me was happy that he was there. The woman in me was like, wait a minute, why are you here? Wait, you actually showed up now? Wait, OK, this is weird. And, and you a lot didn't people, know he
0: was going to show up. You just looked over and saw this motherfucker.
2: Like, I knew my aunt was going to tell him. She, okay. She was like, I'll tell him. But I was like, I was more expecting her yeah. than him. But she didn't show up. We, we, she showed up a couple of days later. But he showed up. But he literally did a in and out because his wife was in the car and she couldn't find parking. So he just popped in, popped out. And he was like, oh, come meet my wife. So I'm being dragged. I'm going outside to meet this woman that I've never met before. That's my stepmother. I don't, I don't know her. The only common thing with her that I have is that she shares my mother's name. That's it. My mom's name is Linda. Her name is Linda. That was it. Then I went back in and it's like, okay, so you're popping up on me. Glad you came. But then here's your grandson that you you don't know this. you don't know him. He don't know you. This is how you don't really say anything but hello. Now he's like, okay, he popped back out again when I gave my aunt the tour of the work. He showed up and did it with us. And then I didn't talk to him again for a while. Um COVID hit and you know, my aunt told him that I had COVID. So he came over. He came to my house. He first called to see if I was there. I'm like, I got COVID, bro. I'm going. Right. <laughs> but he came over and, you know, he brought flowers and he's like, well, here's some medicine and here's some dollars. And I'm like.
0: And this was the first time you saw him again after 2011?
2: I might have seen him. In between, at my grandmother's funeral. Oh wow! Okay. So then, he came by a couple more times, and I'm like, "Okay, you're trying. You don't know where to start." Yeah. And I'm like, "Okay, how do we? Wh- where do we go from here?" So after that, when Buckshot happened, he came. He came by. I was at the gallery um he came by gave him a tour we talked outside and you know he basically was like hey you know i know i wasn't there for you the way i should have been and you know your mother and i had you young i think they were like 19 19 and 20. um we didn't know what to do and but i'm like she figured it out yeah you know, she may have had help from her mother or whatever, whatever, but and he went to the military. He ran to the military. And then he came back and he was like, I didn't know how I didn't know how to deal with you. And part of me is like, Well, you I don't know if you really tried. So, you know, it just seems like a lot of promises that I'm at this point, I got tired of trying to fix it. I'm like, Technically, I'm the child. I have tried. Yeah. I, you have to meet me. You have to want to. And, you know, I've been in therapy, and I talked about it with my therapist, and, you know, she asked me if I was willing to call once a week to talk to, talk to him. And I said, no. I've tried that. I've, I feel like I have been the one constantly, constantly, And she's like, well, what if he doesn't know how? And I'm like, well, I mean, I feel like that's kind of obvious. So, you know, I talked to my aunt and my aunt told me that, uh, you know, he's dealing with something with his wife where he's her primary caretaker and he really can't leave. So knowing that bit of information, you know, there's a part of me, half of me is like, okay, okay. Maybe we try. I try again mm. and extend the call, and we may talk like maybe once every two weeks, or you know, just to have something to talk about. And then there's a part of me that's just like, leave it alone.
0: What does it cost you to try? What do you think it cost you?
2: I don't know if I can handle the disappointment again. So many times before I leaned into the positive, but now the negative is like, look, how many more times you gonna do this and you're gonna get the same outcome?
0: What if but m- maybe that is the maybe that's the opportunity though to to adjust the expectation. Cause I, cause it, it sounds like you already know who he is. It's just it's just hard to accept that piece of it to a degree.
2: I think for me, I know who he is, and my acceptance is the dismount. Just um I'm, I'm for my sanity I'm done.
0: So 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 when I asked you what does it cost you, and you, you your 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 response was um, the disappointment. But if you know who he is Where's the disappointment in that?
2: There's this one little, this little millisopic inch of hope. Okay. That it will change. But there's also the point that I know I'm not allowing it to, or even seeing if it will. I'm still on the fence. Like, it's still a thought in my head. Mm -hmm. And, but it's been brushed Back Like, New Year, I was like, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to think about it. I'm still thinking about it. It's just, it, I either have to get up off that pot and do it and stand firm in my decision or try. And I'm am a I'm a sucker. I mean, I'm still leaning towards trying, but I'm not ready to make the call yet. What does the perfect
0: scenario look like? Like, like if you could paint a picture of the perfect outcome of that what would, what would that be
2: just to know for him for us to really know each other or get or at a starting point to move forward because I mean honestly we don't have a lot of time and he's older he's I think my dad is roughly maybe six the 66 or 67 right now. One of the two. I think he's 67. Yeah. We don't have a lot of time.
0: So how is that different than what the reality is? Like you, you just painted the perfect scenario, and the perfect scenario sounds like that's what it is now,
1: no?
2: Yeah. It's also my stubbornness. Okay. My stubbornness and... Fear. That's what it is.
0: Fear of what, though?
2: Fear of disappointment. Disappointment, (laughs) even if you know it's still around the corner, it's still disappointing when it hits that corner and comes around. Yeah. And, you know, then it becomes, oh, I knew this was going to happen. But, again, it might not.
0: It it reminds me of the situation I was in, like, when my mom... In that, I had this idea of what I wanted it to be, and it was, and, and I was, and that was always, you know, kind of superimposed on what was really there. And when I was going to therapy, in one of the instances, they were asking me, you know, like, what it's kind of like, would you call? And then I would be like, what Fuck, I'm gonna call for? I didn't been calling. I'm. I'm the kid. When can like like a lot like a lot of the stuff that you're saying, like they're the parent, and um I can't remember where the switch occurred in terms of adjusting the expectations, but it's funny how when I changed my expectations, it's like when she changed and i don't know i don't know if it was her or if it was me mm-hmm. it, it's a weird fucking thing as it as it relates to that but it was like the minute i stopped expecting my mom to be something different than what she was is when she actually became enough and it's not like i was turning her bullshit into it's not like i was faking it it was it was a it was a weird thing. Like my mom isn't. We're never gonna have that storybook relationship I had in my mind. I used to long for it, but if I actually had that, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. Today, today. and it's but, but that doesn't mean there isn't um, value in the person she is today and the relationship that we can. That we can develop and and one and, and I'm saying all that to say cause so much of what you were saying was reminding me of my me and my mom's, cause I was it's that it's that fear of what will happen. I had to expect it to happen. I expect my mom to be my mom, cause she's been my mom my whole fucking life. But does that mean we can't have a relationship? Cause I, I did suffer from not, Accepting her and I think that the minute I started accepting her she started like accepting me and it was just like Oh, so somebody had to go first, but <laughs> the kid had to fucking go first because that's
2: I mean and that, that that could be our situation but you know the, the I would say what he knows about me What I think he knows about me because I'm not quite sure is he Okay, so he knows my work. He knows I'm a photographer. He knows I'm talented He knows uh, that I exist, and I think you know there was another little bit of pain because I used to live in Temple Hills, right by not far from um, Iverson Mall, more Mm -hmm. like St. Barnabas Road, and I found out that he lived three minutes away from me. Oh shit! By car. And I was like, that hurts. That hurts. Yeah, and it's like okay. And, you know, when I was in therapy, my therapist was like, well, how is he with his other kids? And I was like, I'm the only one.
0: Oh, you're the only child?
2: I'm his only child. How do you think...
0: So let me ask you one more question before we move on. I don't want to... to...
2: (laughs) How do you think your dad feels? Do you ever think about how he feels? I did at one point. I think he... Well, you know what? I know he wishes it was different from the last conversation we had when he came to Buckshot. And I could see in his eyes that he wants to do better. And he wants to kind of be there. But he I don't think he knows how.
0: And you believe, you believe in your heart that that's his feeling. Yeah. You don't think he's making excuses. This motherfucker just don't know how to do it.
2: I don't think he knows how to do it. Okay. And nor do I think he made the moves to know how.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, which is a totally separate
2: thing. Yeah. I got you. I, I, you know, if you don't know how to do something, you ask. Or you, you know. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you, you sent me money here and there. I'm like, but it wasn't your money that I wanted. Yeah. It was you, your physical being. And I was like, bruh, that, that I was like, <laughs> that shaped my whole teenage girl years with all them light-skinned pretty boys. <laughs> Listen. Because my father is light-skinned with light eyes and Lord forbid he still has his ponytail. <laughs> oh
0: man. You know what I was thinking of? That cursing preacher. <laughs> oh. Is that, that <laughs> is that your daddy him? The, the, the Is truth. that your daddy? That's not my dad. <laughs>
2: He not crip walking for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's a short dude. Not
0: uh, <laughs> your daddy is the cursing preacher. <laughs> no. Thank
2: you, Jesus. He is not that. God,
0: big. that would have been the biggest tone the fork reveal of all time if that was the case. Shout out to Pops.
2: Yeah, I would have. I, I would like, yeah, you know that preacher? That was my dad. Yeah, no. Thank God <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to put a picture of that brother Do right not. here.
2: Jesus Christ. Reading the yellow pages. I was like, wait, that's the yellow pages. That's not a Bible. Go
0: ahead. Go ahead. Now, nah, bitch. <laughs> Cancel that hoe. <laughs> Hang up on that. I'm the father of Satan. You are. Oh, my God. I was just watching him. The... He's great.
1: Oh, oh, that was funny. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
2: Yeah, thank... No, nope, nope, nope. That is, that is not a... That's not Mr. Beard. That's not him. But, yeah. So, I mean, it's it shaped me for who I am. Yeah. And, and the one thing I do um, value is that I figured it out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I figured it out before therapy. So... When it came to my therapist and I was telling her, and she was like, wait, so you already? I was like, yeah, I already know. This is what it is. This is how it is. So then she presented me with that question. Well, where do you go from here? Mm -hmm. And I'm still in the I don't know.
0: I know a lot of people who have parents. Who don't know how to move forward? Who are in our age range, and a lot of them, most of them, I would say, are women. I think most, and the ones that I can think of, most of the ones are women who are, as it relates to their father, not necessarily. I don't, I don't know if it's the dads. I'm trying to think about the people who I have in mind, and so, and, and a, a lot of them and they have kids, younger kids, and in their mind it's hard because they made that step before they, because they reached out before, they like, fuck it, I just can't do it. Like, it's just, it's going to cost me too much. Like that, that, if it don't go right, I just can't, I just can't take that step. And I don't know how it... I don't know how they get to that point to where they figure it out, but it's 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 something about our parents' age range who don't know how. And, and, and in their mind, I feel like it's like a fuck it button that they hit to say, I'm, I'm not going to figure it out either. <laughs> yeah. like, like, I'm not going to not only do I not know how, but I'm not going to try to figure it out. And then it's just people just standing looking across from one another. Hey, and,
2: how you doing? You're an adult now. You're good, right? You yeah, grew like, up. You, you fine? But, and,
0: and technically we are, though.
2: Yeah, but the, the interesting thing, because there's another curve to this. Oh, shit. I, within myself, I have some of his ways, or some of his mannerisms. <sighs> and I know this about myself because some of it has reared with my kids.
0: So here's the thing. God, that was It's not our parents that we're reaching out for. When we look in the cross, though, it's us seeing ourselves in that person and extending out for us because we're in the motherfuckers. Like, those parts of us that we don't want to, it's because we see us. Like, so much of it is in us, Mm -hmm. and I said It's so funny you mentioned that, because I said this to one of my friends. I was like, You have the luxury of hindsight now being in your 40s with your younger kid and your kid gets to a certain age and they're going to be they might be you and you you might be playing the role of your parent and the the parent and your kid might be playing and they always say, no, it's not going to be me. It's not going to be me. But sometimes you've got to extend yourself out. At least maybe to even give an example of what what it looks like for the kids to do it. But it's all interconnected.
2: Yep. And then (laughs) here's another piece from that piece. So I also, so my daughter and I, we sometimes we, we, we just don't. And I see me in her. I see all the things that I didn't like about myself when I was younger in her. Like she's awesome, she's amazing, she's beautiful, she's great, but there's a point I'm like, child, I can't deal with you. And then I remember telling my therapist, I was like, I'm gonna say this out loud. I can't deal with me. <laughs> I was like, this is me. Yeah. So there's a lot of reflecting and mirroring and honestly, I'm I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna call. Next month.
0: <laughs> and if not, maybe you can go online and look at one of his videos. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever, then I'm wrong. You got me now. You got me now. You got me now. You figured me out. You fucking income fucking poop. You figured me out. You got me red handed. You got me red handed. <laughs>